Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Today, we are going to have one of our fun and light topics where we're going to talk about uh, tech faux pas or technologies that have uh, maybe not gone as far as uh, the creators would have liked. (laughs) Uh, I I find it funny that uh, this is today's topic, Rochelle. I was just reading yesterday on, uh, I follow a tech Reddit. It might just be like r slash sysadmin or something. And folks go on there to like vent about things. And someone was talking about how they accidentally sent an email with a bad attachment, something that like cost their employer uh, thousands of dollars and it sort of made me laugh because I thought just thousands like thousands of dollars isn't huge for employers to lose due to employee screw-ups and I know we're not just talking about employee screw-ups today but I, I thought it was interesting the uh, I guess sort of level of faux pas that folks can have like you can make small mistakes that are pretty big and ex- expensive you can make expensive mistakes that are really expensive uh, and they all sort of come with the cost and they all just sort of happen all the time as well, right? Like we always talk about how you sort of need to be failing at some points in your uh, tech work or else you're not really pushing yourself. And I think uh, we're going to run into a lot of those and the things that we talk about today for uh, for tech faux pas. And you know, what's interesting about that, Drew, is that as you look at life as a whole, we're always looking to take someone to the woodshed, right? We always mm-hmm. want to point blame when something mm-hmm. goes wrong. So with that amount of pressure of not making a mistake, more like we are more likely to make a mistake, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing something and you know, if I mess this up, it's going to you know cost somebody money. Somebody might lose their job. You know, we might get hacked or it might, we might have our reputation disturbed. You know, all of those kinds of things happen because of the pressure we put on people to be successful. And so when we do have failure, instead of sitting down and trying to find out where the failure occurred, even if it's a person's failure, you know, what did they, did they not know how to do something? Did they not ask the right questions or what is, whatever it is. And I think Mm -hmm. that one of the most important parts of that is being able to allow people the space to get better. So that's how come I, in my mind, we have all these faux pas, you know, I mentioned this to you earlier, you know, like that Google facial facial recognition that was a failure of leadership it had nothing to do with the people who did that yeah and and people will challenge me on that but i say this if google had had one woman one black person one brown person one red person and any it just one of any difference from those who would we would not be here so i want to talk my my favorite is my people used to my nickname was crackberry (laughs) (laughs) he used a blackberry a lot yes i I mean like i was the queen i knew how to work every function i could recover everything so i got the nickname crackberry i don't know Uh what that was insult or a compliment but i love black i loved let me put it carefully i loved you hear my d i'm not in love with them anymore i'm in love with apple now but (laughs) they had some terrible pause in their product i mean i think they could have led this market Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think like when I look at like uh, the things that we're going to be talking about today, it's it's funny to even almost think of them as faux pas because they led to something 
like all of these things sort of led to something amazing. Like, like without Blackberries, we wouldn't have iPhones today, right? Like, right. Blackberries were really, I mean, they were the first like really good mobile communication device beyond just you know talking on a cell phone. Uh, and it wasn't just you; like lots of people, you know, had those Blackberries sort of tied to their hands every day, sort of the yeah. same way we think about iPhones and Android phones nowadays. Right. You could not be without it. And- but BlackBerry, I mean, I think that they were crude in their development. I don't think they understood. Like, Apple really went far. You know, yeah. Apple took what they had done, and they just went, like, from Earth to Mars in three seconds. And in yeah. the way you think about that, like, you know, like you said, if it were not for Blackberries, we would not have these current smartphones. But yeah. for what we wanted, so, for example, if you wanted to uh, talk, see someone, you know, in a video chat with someone, or see, I mean, like, it was this little teeny weeny picture. The size of the phone. So if you can imagine, the phone is, you know, the same size as the phones are now. Uh, the Blackberries were thicker. Um, yeah. But it's a small picture. And for somebody who's old as dirt, you need a bigger picture. We need to see yeah. the whole picture. And that's what Apple gave us, is the ability to do that. And there were so many things that were wrong with that technology. You know, getting a bug. So although Blackberries weren't based on Microsoft protocols, it had a lot of them embedded. Yeah. Yeah. And you really couldn't, I mean, really the, the key market I think for BlackBerry was like business people. Cause you couldn't just yeah. go to like a cell phone store. Uh, maybe you could, but it would be super expensive. Just, you know, going and getting a personal BlackBerry, like that wasn't really a thing. It was usually, you're going to have a BlackBerry that is like, you know, connected to all of the stuff through work and, you know, paid for by work in some way or another. And very like, I use the quote unquote business oriented, uh, but and I like, think I, mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just gonna say I never uh I was never really on the Blackberry train per se, but like I was always sort of envious when I saw people using them because they look like a lot of fun. Like it's a little email client in your hand. And at the time, like email was a huge form of communication. So like that would be that's sort of like an integral way to just send people messages while you're on the go. You know, and now it's just like a trivial thing inside of any Android or iPhone. In fact, like a lot of people aren't even going to send emails anymore. Now everyone wants to, you know, use SMS or text of some sort. Right. And and I think the interesting thing where BlackBerry went wrong, I think, in their iteration, you know, they're they're trying to come back. Now. They're trying to come back to the marketplace. Oh. But where BlackBerry went wrong in their product is they didn't they didn't they didn't predict the future. They didn't see what was coming, you know. They assumed everybody was going, what you said, you know, these are business machines. We use these all the time. You know, everybody who has one, and they were slick looking. They were so pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had the black with the silver keys. I mean, they were pretty. Um, and I thought, I think they thought people were going to just travel down that line. But so many things that went wrong with their software on the phone may have affected their ability to keep thinking about whether they want to do that. Because I will tell you, you know, I think, where was I at that time? I, I don't know. I was at IBM or Duke. I don't know where I was, but somewhere. And uh, it was just really amazing how comfortable it was to use it. It was really an efficient system. But I think where they went wrong was not seeing the future. What do yeah. you think? No, I absolutely agree. Like, and they, I think they did see, they saw some set of the future, I think. Like, from what I remember, like, where Blackberries really excelled, where they had a really like comfortable keyboard. The keyboard didn't feel cheap like a lot of uh, those types of phones did at the time. Uh, yeah. They had a little integrated mouse. I think it was a, was it a little joystick that they had on there that you could 
they like did, but they had this little um almost like a stylus, but yeah. a lot of people, I mean, I never used a stylus. I just had, I mean, you know, I notice how kids type on the phone today, they can make all their fingers work and stuff. I'm still going back to QWERTY and I'm only using one hand and it might take me an hour and a half. And then they have that other thing. And I think Blackberry did this toward the end, but you know how if you're writing something, you can move your fingers over it and it oh, makes yeah. the What is that called? Uh, swiping. Okay, so that feature was in the BlackBerry, and I thought that was pretty cool, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, this is probably off topic, but I am a very good typer on a keyboard, but I cannot type on a mobile phone. Like, I, I guess I'm, I'm better than I used to be, but it is, I don't know. I sort of wish there was a, like, because there's, like, a, a, a form to typing on a keyboard, and I don't think there's really a great form for typing on a mobile device. You know what I mean? Like, there's no... Put your fingers on these keys, reach, you know, forwards and backwards. I wish they did sort of have something like that, uh, yeah, just because but... I feel awful typing on a phone. <laughs> and, and so I, 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 that's all I think we should spend time on BlackBerry because I want to get to the next one. The next yes. one is an example. So Napster versus Netflix. And where am I going with that, Drew? Oh, so Napster was... I find it funny because Napster, sometimes I forget that they were actually a business. Uh, yes. But for the super young people out there, Napster was a file sharing service, mostly used for sharing music in like, I don't know, 1997 through like 2002 or 2003, like almost a decade in there. And uh, Drew was only 10 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I was like prime Napster age. For yeah. using it to illegally download uh, music. Hope no law enforcement <laughs> is listening. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> but, but if you uh, were to have used, I, I won't say that I used it at the time, but if you were to have used it at the time, uh, it was just this little app that you download and you search for music and then it downloads music sort of like, uh, not exactly like BitTorrent does now, but it works on a similar principle where it's downloading music from uh, other users on the internet and it was like an amazing way to get music really fast because at the time you know if you wanted to hear a song uh you had to hear it on the radio or you had to go and buy an album or a cd or a tape to listen to it like you know you couldn't just go to the website there was no spotify there was no uh Apple Music, there was nothing like that. So Netflix was a great way to just digitally get a you know a giant music collection if you wanted to. Uh, that is illegal, of course, because uh, you are infringing on the copyright holders, which are the people who actually created the music. Uh, so at some point in their, I'll say like I guess it was their late life because they're uh, they did not survive. Uh, but they tried to go legitimate and actually started trying to charge users money and then pay that money back to the artists. But they just never really did it well. Uh, users using Napster didn't want to pay anything. And right. the artists that were being paid by Napster felt like they weren't getting enough. So there was a I think there was a lawsuit that started the whole thing with uh, I think it was Metallica was like uh, very uh, litigious was litigious. They liked it. They sued Napster really hard. Yeah. You know, uh, I think the interesting piece about Napster and my reference to Netflix is just the being able to see the future. And I think I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll use that as my theme throughout this. Like, so mm -hmm. Napster, a, a new concept when they came out, 
people were interested in it. They had policies and practices that did, uh, did not allow them to grow to the next place. So in other words, like we're seeing this with Twitter now. So Twitter wants you to pay to be an official Twitter user. Yeah. And very few people are signing up to do that. You know, I yeah. mean, honestly, when he took, when, when whatever his name is, took over, I closed my tech, my, my Twitter account. I don't have a Twitter account anymore. Yeah. So I'm not going to pay that monthly fee. And I think that's what happened with Napster as well, right? So you have this great concept, you know, you get it out there, people are hungry for it and they come and get it. But the problem, then you want to change mid-court to charge people. So the way the way I see it's not the future. Think about Netflix. So Netflix started out as a DVD rental mm-hmm. organization, but they saw the future. Yeah. They saw the future, and you could be you know cavalier about it, but in reality, they were able to think about okay, I'm gonna hold on doing this boring stuff, mailing you know DVDs. I'm gonna keep doing it while the people in the back office are developing what's next. Yeah. Yeah, and go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say they did like a a great job with it as well, and they really even like they just I think it was just last week they announced that they are they're gonna stop their DVD business, which yeah. you know sort of got them going. And you know if they had never rotated from DVDs to streaming and sort of invented that streaming market, like I don't think there was any streaming media before uh, Netflix got theirs online, like. I guess that's like 15 years ago now, but uh, they did like a great job. Right. But the, but the correlation between Napster and Netflix is being able to see what's next as opposed to stopping. Okay, I've got this concept. It seems to be working well. I'm going to just keep driving that. And then I want my users to char- pay, pay me to use my services because, you know, there are pieces in part there. But I just think it was just failure of seeing the future. So I yeah. want to really get into that. And that's, um, you know, as you think about like, so, charging and all these other pieces and parts so netflix said not too long ago they're going to stop people from sharing passwords mm-hmm. you know which and the question is what impact will that have on their business right because i don't think people give their friends and people outside of their immediate family their passwords because that's very dangerous if you are tell them not to that group say yeah, no, no 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 absolutely right so i think the question that netflix has is you know you're changing your model right so and you're trying to get people to see it in a way that's different than it was. And with that, I think I sent you this about Drew and uh, The Weeknd having their uh, oh, yeah. their songs. Uh, I don't even know what the right term is, but having automation or AI. Sing yeah, songs. yeah. AI generated Drake and The Weeknd song, which uh, it, it seems crazy. Right. But but that's where technology is going. And as I said to you before, you know, like imagine this. Ten years from now, great writers will be automation, be some kind of AI created thing. You know, great writers will not be these people who are out in the trenches starting from ground zero, like you think about books people write now that really shape how we read and think about things. They won't need that anymore. You put your concept in Chat GPT, send it on, and it comes back and give you a book. I mean, we're we're sort of there now. Like I have not. No one has admittedly created an AI generated like uh, I think of it like a screenplay. Like no one's that no one has publicly said they used AI or ChatGPT to create a screenplay. But I would be very surprised if like a someone hasn't done that already, or b like one is being worked on right now to be released to the masses. Like it's, I mean that's definitely happening uh, in some way or another, and it's all 
as Chat GPT calling out to you to make your movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Because I mean, it could literally you give it some prompts and it could it could just write the script, which uh, I find very appealing. Uh, I've also sort of there's one I listened to a podcaster who is also a screenwriter. Uh, and he does, he's not like a famous screenwriter. So he, he, I will say like, he doesn't have the best movies out there, but he he was talking about one uh, review he got and someone said that uh, it felt like the movie was written by uh, AI. And he was like, Ooh, that sort of hurts. Like that was written by me. Like I am not an AI. Like I did not use that. Uh, But it's almost like being used to describe something uh, non-creative, even though, you know, I think, Pat GPT or some other AI could be almost just as creative as, you know, real working screenwriters. Right. And I mean, like, you know, I think that if you thought about how often ideas come in your head for something that could be done, and, and I think what we have done or at least are trying to do is let technology solve every problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I do not think technology can solve every single problem. And, and And so in a lot of ways, when we think about these new fangled things that are out there. I mean, like, it's wonderful and great. Like, I don't need to know how to get anywhere anymore. I don't need a map. I don't need to know how to spell. I don't need to know how to do very much. But there has to be some humanity left in these things, right? There has to be yeah. some part of us we're thinking about that, you know, because we have so many dinosaurs in our back pockets. So think about uh, AOL. I used to fall out. I, it's the least secure product in the history of the planet to me. It was <laughs> Absolutely, it. it was awful. I mean, when it first came out, I don't know. Maybe they made they got new security or something, but it was awful. And you know, and you think about AOL. How many? If you had to guess, Drew, how many people do you think still have an active AOL account? There's like, uh, I would say it's in the millions. Like, it's not a zero. It is a much greater than zero number. Uh, yeah. I think, especially if you include, were they bought by Hotmail or did Hotmail? Or no, that was Microsoft. I feel like AOL merge was someone at some point. Um, I don't, I don't remember who it was, but I will still occasionally see like people uh, sending in uh, sending emails with an AOL.com address, which I always find like uh, very weird, even though they probably don't actually have the like we think of I think of AOL as like you get a floppy disk in the mail and you put it in and you get, you know, to connect to these chat rooms and this sort of version of the internet i mean i guess it was the real internet it wasn't a version of the internet but it was a little bit more curated than uh something like you know uh spectrum internet or google fiber or one of the more modern things uh it was sort of a weird take like you put an aol app on your computer plug it into your phone line uh it dials up old aol and uh then you can just you know scroll around on the internet uh, and at the time, it was amazing. Like, I would say, like, this was, I guess this is when I was in college. So, like, 1996 to 97, uh, it was huge. And, like, pretty much everybody I knew had an AOL account. Like, it was uh, almost like a utility, right? Like, if you didn't have an AOL, then how did you have email? And for those of us that were at least in college and, you know, didn't have, like, a work email, that was how, that was our only email was this AOL thing. But they too, just like Napster and some of the others, they didn't see the future, you yeah. know. Be, you know, they didn't grow their business. I think in Napster, I think Napster had a pretty good sized business, but, but same for BlackBerry. But I think that they didn't see where technology was going. So while they were really aggressive in their beginning, 
toward the end, it kind of lost track of where they were going, right? Because yeah. started leaving, like you just said, almost everybody who wrote to you had an, an, an AOL, American Online, if you don't know what AOL is there for, mm-hmm. an American Online account that they were actively using. But then they saw people leaving them because they weren't as fast, they weren't as stable as other ISPs. And they were among the first. They were a game changer. And it's rarely we acknowledge AOL in the work that they did to get us now where we are now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, they're still there. Like, they're right. they're doing something. Uh, they may not be as big or as uh, as powerful, but, you know, they're still kicking in there. Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite of all the kind of faux pas is Netscape. So they, they kind of rate, rate right there with American Online. So it oh, yeah. was really good browser for the time it was a really good browser i mean the people who created this were brilliant because they created without knowing what the backbone of their they're doing they're just creating this 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 kind of internet pathway i just thought that was amazing you know and then they subtly slowly went away and i think i don't remember so there was a good i think it was on hulu they had an episode devoted to uh the Netscape development and downfall. And it's a little, it was like a, I don't want to call it a documentary, but it was a five or six part series called the dark side of the nineties. And every mm-hmm. episode they did something that happened in the nineties. It didn't necessarily have to be dark. Uh, will, you send me, will you send me the link to that? If you know it? Yeah. Yeah. I will send it. I, I will yes. absolutely send it to you. It also had, they had a, uh, they did a nineties uh, uh, hip hop culture one that are, uh, friend mark anthony neal was on there talking about it i was like hey i know that guy yeah yeah like rochelle brought him onto one of our podcasts that's awesome but another one was talking about the uh netflix rise and fall and the thing i remember about the episode was that like the culture seemed very futuristic like they seemed to have a very i don't know what the right word is but like not a strict business culture like you sort of associate with BlackBerry and Microsoft. This seemed to be more of a, there were a lot of young folks. I think they were in, I think they were in San Francisco. They had like a very fun and jovial office. Everybody seemed to just love what they were doing. And everybody also seemed to be overworking themselves all the time, which I guess was good for the product, but not great for work culture. Uh, But it seemed to be like a great time. And they really, I think it was uh, internet, was it internet explorer that killed them? Yeah. Um, so when Microsoft started, uh, you know, becoming more interested in the actual internet, which happened pretty quickly, uh, they just started shipping their own uh, internet browser with our operating system, which meant people didn't really need Netscape. So even though Netscape is is and was a better product than uh, Internet Explorer at the time, uh, there was a barrier of entry to get Netscape versus Internet Explorer, which is already on your computer when you get it. Like you open up, you bring home your nice new uh, work or home computer, power it on, boom, there's Internet Explorer versus having to go uh, find a CD or a floppy disk that contains Netscape and go through those installation bits. And that right. really like decimated them. Like I don't think they ever really recovered from that. Right. I think a lot of proprietary things that existed in the Netscape product prevented it from being a, a smooth uh, integration into Microsoft or Apple products. Right. And so yeah. if you think about early uh, uh, Windows operating systems. I mean, I will tell you, DOS, DOS is I mean, like you had to be brilliant to use DOS. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't 
Average people could not use DOS. DOS really took your code, the language, everything about it. And like Netscape fell into the bucket with DOS, right? So a lot of its calls came from DOS, not from, you know, the operating system. You know, I shouldn't say the operating system, but not from the API that's generating all this. So Mm -hmm. DOS was hard. And so Netscape was not paying attention. You know, they were not paying attention to what Microsoft was doing. And I think what we have, I think you and I talked about this before, the fake it till you make it concept. Mm -hmm. I think that what we have is we have people who get these brilliant ideas, which you have to applaud them, right? Get these brilliant ideas to do something. And all of a sudden, you know, they they put a team together and off they go to building it. You know, I think Netscape was the same thing. The problem is the team did not look beyond right now. You know, they didn't see Microsoft coming. Microsoft step, step, snuck up on them. I don't, I know we don't have much time. I want to cover one more of this. Another one of my favorites, Windows 8. Lord have mercy. (laughs) So every time we had, we get new computers and we had this package, you know, I think we got our packages from you guys, but we get these packages and we push them to the new uh, computer. um, And, you know, we've gone through a complete Windows 7 transition smoothly, few bumps here and there. But for the most part, and then came Windows 8. Drew, what is Windows 8? So uh, this is a good question. I don't really know. I never used Windows 8. That is one that I I happily skipped that one. That was, uh, so I used Windows 2000 a lot uh, before switching to the Linux world. And then I really didn't use any Windows at all from probably 2003 to... Uh, I mean, I don't even know if I really use Windows at all now, but I guess I'm slightly familiar with it. Um, <laughs> we all say the same thing. We're slightly familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know what Forge stands for? Uh, no, no. Fix or repair daily. That was what <laughs> Ford Motor Cars was. And that's what Windows Windows 8 was like. This. So Windows 8 was expected to be another massive push out of, uh, of an operating system. And it had so many bugs that Microsoft could not overcome them. I mean, so many. And I mean, like most people would like, you probably never had any experience with Windows 8. Windows 8. But yeah. it was out there and people installed it. I mean, I think we we installed it in a small trial group. It was just mm-hmm. yucky. And, yeah. and it goes yeah. back to what our themes are in this, this podcast all the time. You know, there are lots of good software and there are lots of bad software. Mm-hmm. Knowing and catching that bad software before it catches you is very important. You know, so I know that in, in the grand scheme of things, there are lots of faux pas. And we haven't talked about one of my other faux pas, which is right there in my diversity lane. And that's Google's uh, facial recognition. So mm-hmm. what happened with that, Drew? So with that, they were doing a, so they have an algorithm where like you give it a picture and Google will say like, that's a picture of a lawnmower or that's a picture of a hot dog or that's a picture of blah. And what they ran into was that when it looked at pictures of uh, uh, black people specifically, it would say, oh, that's a gorilla, which is obviously both incorrect and offensive. Uh, And the problem- and I think the problem there was like they didn't train it. Uh, they didn't have a diverse set of training on there. They trained it on, I mean, right. assumedly like a lot of white people. And so it's uh, it had built in biases like from the start. Right. And have you have you noticed, Drew, that we, there was something on the news uh, maybe a week ago where a set of police officers, deputies and things in some contract in some city, I don't remember what it is, 
wrote the same thing. So they refer to black people as gorillas. Um, no. That, that's, I'll send you something about it. But I think that's one of those interesting pieces where people don't really know how subtle racism is. It's so subtle. You know, it's not like it's in your face. Like, I would bet you everything I own, Google didn't intend for that to happen. Oh, I yeah. Do not yeah. Isn't Google's owner uh, 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 Indian? So Yeah, they're they're it, like a CEO or the, the, the top executive is, yeah. So how, you know, you know they didn't do that on purpose. You know yeah. that, you know, if the CEO had known that, he would have stopped it immediately because it didn't even test on people within the organization. The team that was developing developing it did a really really good job of development the problem is it's they just not had any exposure to people that are not like them yeah they don't have any exposure and, and some of the things that happens in these development of systems you know whether it's an operating system a new iphone whatever it is you know people who are developing these things has has to be diverse it cannot be we're sitting here thinking about oh what well, i'm gonna create you know drew, drew's gonna create the super movie theory series and he doesn't factor in all the people around me, right? So you yeah. get these outcomes that often come out to bite, right? Yeah. But yeah. but I do love the uh I do love the concept of fake it till you make it until you understand what that means because fake it till you make it is awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're we're all gonna fail. There's nothing in the in in the grand scheme of things that we are not. Yeah. All right, yeah. Dude, my next one is Google Glass. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> Oh, I, I got it immediately. Oh my goodness, Drew. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you had one, Rochelle. That's awesome. Oh my, because I thought it, I thought I saw the future. Yeah. I thought, you know, I could see here to Mars. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm do you still have them? Somewhere. Yes, I do. <laughs> Did you ever use them for anything uh useful? No. Um <laughs> the few times I tried to do what they were intended, to, I was unsuccessful. Yeah. I needed yeah. I needed Dan to say again. <laughs> and for those that don't know, Google Glass is just a, uh, it was a little set of glasses that you could get. I hesitate to say even glasses, but it was a frame that you put where your glasses would be. And it had a tiny little uh, display. I think it might have even been a projector that would like project an image onto your retina, like over top of reality. So it was one of the first like consumer available uh, augmented reality devices that I think they were... Oh no, there were a couple hundred bucks. Uh, they sent a bunch out as like demos to certain folks, uh, but they never really they never became profitable. And I think they were discontinued. Uh, I, I won't say they were discontinued quickly, but they didn't last very long. But they were like, I mean, <laughs> I I never had a pair, but we went to a like Google came to the ATC at one point and did like a. Uh, a demo on a weekend where you could just go and like they had a bunch of Google people there and you could put the uh, uh, Google Glass on and try it out and just play around with it. And it was like, it was really cool. Like I could definitely see using one of those full time. And a lot of people did wear those full time uh, yeah. during its prime. Like you'd see people wearing them at conferences and I don't know, they were always just very cool. Yeah. Um, I can't, you uh, what learning and, and development, I think it's called. They mm -hmm. were the headed bringing Google Glass to to the campus, as far as I know. I mean, I think that, you know, all of these things we're talking, we're, we're, we're teasing, we don't mean any harm to any of these products and any of the successes and failures to that. But in reality, reality is something that causes us to think about what, what's next, right? And how does that white, what next not fail? And, yeah. and, and failure is absolutely necessary. You need to fail to be able to go outside. 
you know, mm-hmm. because oh, you yeah. have to how to walk. You know, so so there's that. But but I, I but I say that with the little Jess. All the think about all of these products. Most technology people know of every last one. There's not one you you know find a technology whether he's a computer operator to uh, a developer or whatever. You know of these products because they made a dent. They just didn't stick. And the question is, if you're going to market, how to stick? So, Drew, I don't know how much time we have left, but can you talk a little bit about MySpace and why they didn't work? Why, how how was Facebook? Oh yeah. So MySpace, another pioneer. They were the first. They were the the. I won't say they were the first social media platform because I think there were a couple others before that, but they were the most. They were the first uh, social media platform that really like uh, took control of the market. So. It was very simple. It was, you know, you would get like a little profile page where you could put little uh, blog posts up. They, I think they were very big into like music. Like I think you could even like play certain songs as someone went to your MySpace and you could have MySpace friends and all that sort of stuff. And they, uh, I think they sold to, did they sell to Microsoft? I can't remember who ended up buying them. You know, they still exist, you know. They do, they do, but in a much smaller capacity, much like I guess all of these technologies. Like they're till they're still technically there. And I think they've become even more focused on music. Uh Facebook really took them to lunch. Like they Facebook destroyed uh MySpace. Like I don't know how they did it. I guess maybe through like uh spreading throughout colleges so quickly. But Facebook overtook MySpace really quickly and made MySpace irrelevant. I mean, it wasn't overnight, but it sure does seem like it was overnight thinking <laughs> thinking back on it now. And the poor company that bought them, I mean, they lost like a huge investment thinking that MySpace was going to be the next big thing. Bought them, then Facebook just destroyed the market and took all of those users away. And I don't think that MySpace has, I mean, that you know, I'm sure there are people out there that still use it, but it's so minuscule compared to Facebook, Twitter, all those others. I think after people get tired of being beat up by Facebook and have all their stuff stolen, maybe uh, MySpace might have a comeback. Because at yeah. least from what I hear, they are doing extensive attempts to be more safe for you. you know, but, you know, all of these things go back to what Drew and I said. You know, like, they start out with great ideas. I mean, brilliant conceptual ideas. I mean, you can't even, like, AOL and MySpace and something. You can't even, I mean, you, when you think about the history of social media, MySpace can't be left out. You cannot yeah. not think about MySpace. You know, when you think about email, whether it's Gmail or whomever it is, you can't leave AOL out. You know, these yeah. are the people who, who who laid the found great foundation for these things. So what next? You know, where do we see ourselves? And if you must fake it till you make it, have people around you who are thinking about what make it means, right? So that's the future. So fake, you know, that, that woman with the drop of blood, that's a brilliant idea. I mean, mm-hmm. it's simple. Brilliant to have somebody just take a teeny amount, prick your finger, take a teeny amount of blood and be able to help you find out what's right. It's brilliant. Yeah. But she didn't have people around who who were thinking about the future. Yeah. You know, how do we get from point A to point B? And I think that's what happened. The companies that succeed in these marketplaces, specifically in technology, really, really do look forward to the market. They look to what, what's coming next. What do we need to yeah. do? You know, and you always hear me talking about this Drew is going to make this dynamic movie. He's going to create all these interesting technologies. You know, I think that brilliant people have brilliant ideas, you know, and there's nothing wrong with trying, but create a team of people who are going to 
be there with you and see your vision and see what's in the future. Because if only one person is looking at the future and no one's looking at history, what you have done and where you want to go, I think that there's an opportunity for you not to make it. Yeah. And I think all of these, the only thing I would add is like all of these companies, like I think they look towards the future. And then when they like realized it and made a successful project product, they sort of stopped. And that's really the trick is you can't, you can't get comfortable, <laughs> right? Like I think BlackBerry was very comfortable with their product. Everybody loved it. Uh, yeah. And then Apple came and destroyed them. MySpace, same thing. They did a great yeah. job. Something else came and destroyed them with something better. Same with Napster, same with, uh, I mean, everything that we talk about is people just get too comfortable and stop innovating. And then someone comes in and overtakes you. Do you remember class classmates? I think it was called. It was this app where you could find your classmates. It's oh, another yeah. one of those things died on the vine. It was such a great idea. And they yeah. too tried to change their practices, right? Charge people for their service. If they'd have walked out the gate charging people, it would have been easier for people to swallow than to tell, oh, well, you know, because any product, you know, products grow primarily by word of mouth, right? You get mm -hmm. people who, and so they grow like that. You need to have those people around you all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we are about at time today. So I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. If you have any questions for us or any comments, anything at all, send us an email to eminentteachnology at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Thank you.